All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And I'm just going to read two verses this morning, which doesn't really mean it's going to be a short message, but it could mean that, but, you know, don't get your hopes up. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. The Bible says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. So watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong, and let all your things be done with charity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your word, preserved for us down through the ages of time. We have in our own language that we can study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing thy word. I pray that you help us, help me this morning to rightly divide thy truth, help us to give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, and a will to apply and act upon your word today, that you might be glorified and we might be helped. And we'll thank you and praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as the apostle comes near this, the end of this letter to the church at Corinth, and really this letter to us, it's written for our admonition as well, this letter, it's a letter of advocation, it's a letter of admonition or correction and warning. He challenges them and us with some commands that if heeded, will keep us in fellowship with our Lord. You know, just as in our day, there were challenges the Corinthians faced. You know, they had their own carnal natures. You know, Paul said, are you not carnal as walk as men, chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, they also lived in a world that was antagonistic or resisted them, resisted their faith, as our world does today. Um, and so, you know, things really haven't changed. Just people, uh, people, you know, it's just changed their faces, but they really, people are, are the same. And, uh, and circumstances are the change. They just take new names. Um, so let's look at these commands to the churches. And these commands are given here, are not merely commands by Paul giving to the church at Corinth. Of course, these are divinely inspired of the Holy Spirit, written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world have come, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, Jesus said, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And so these are commands that God has given us, uh, through by the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, from the Lord. So let's look at these this morning. First of all, there's a command to vigilance. Verse 13, he says, watch ye. Watch ye. It means to give strict attention to, to be cautious, to take heed, lest through carelessness or slothfulness, some destructive calamity suddenly overtakes one. Watch ye. You know, this is a term that's used in other places in the Bible. Jesus used it quite often. First uh, Peter five eight, Peter tells us to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 
whom we are to resist steadfast in the faith. So be vigilant. This is the idea of watch. In Matthew chapter 24, at Jesus toward the end of his earthly ministry, and as he was preparing to go to the cross, and instructing his disciples in Matthew 24, in verse 36 through 51, He's talking about the, the last times. He says, But at that day and hour, of course the coming of the Lord, knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Two, two, then two shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the meal, the one shall be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. So obviously, as you think about those verses we just read, there were some that were watching and some that were not. Just going on with life, not considering the fact that one day they have to meet the Lord. That's carelessness or slothfulness. And so he says, watch therefore, verse 42, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come, but know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. You know, if, if you know that there's going to be a thief break into your house tonight at 11 o'clock, you're going to be waiting for him. You're going to be prepared to protect yourself and what is yours. And so he's saying we need to be watching like we have, like there's, you know, for something like this. Therefore be ye also ready, for such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in his due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, shall begin to smite his fellow servants, to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, some people have this idea, well, the Lord's delayed his coming, we've been hearing about it for so long, so, you know, he's not coming for a long time, so let's just do whatever we want. And then before the Lord comes, we will get right. You know, some people have this idea that they're going to commit crimes until they're about to get caught. And then they're going to give up, after they've earned their loot, they're going to give up their ways of crime and go straight. Somehow, that time of earned their loot never seems to come. And that's the warning he's giving us here. Chapter 5 again, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise. In other words, they watched. They went prepared. Five were foolish. They were careless. They were slothful. They didn't give any thought to preparation. He might come at any time. We need to be ready right now. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. The wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish son of the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. 
The wise answered, say, Not so. Lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather than that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to, to the marriage, and the door was shut. Verse 13, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. You see, we need to be vigilant. We need to be watching. Not only for our Lord coming, but watching our life. Yeah, I mentioned this the other night. It was when David tarried at home, instead of going to battle, that he fell into sin. He was being careless. He was being slothful. He was just being idle. At the time the kings go forth to battle, the Bible says, David tarried at home. Every soldier is taught that vigilance, vigilance is vital in battle. When Santa Ana and his Mexican army were taking their afternoon siesta, Sam Houston in the army of Texas, though greatly outnumbered, defeated them in 18 minutes. You know, we need to watch ourselves. We need to be vigilant in this time. That's which we're living. You know, there's much that is opposing us. We have our own carnal nature to deal with. We live in a, a time of, of wealth and affluence, and many times we can be overcome with the cares of this life, the accumula- accumulation of things. So, you know, the, the, the old quotation is, and, and there's a little bit of arguing about who, who came up with this quotation. Uh, it's actually, I think it goes back to an Englishman. But uh, it is, quote, eternal vigilance is the price of freedom, unquote. A lot of people credit Thomas Jefferson with that, but it was, it's been recorded in writing before preceding his time. But here's the reality of it. John Adams said this, quote, There is danger from all men. The only maxim of a free government ought to be to trust no man living with power to endanger the public liberty. I have come to the conclusion that one useless man is a disgrace, two become a law firm, and three or more become a congress, unquote. John Adams wasn't liked by a lot of people, and I understand why. He was quite blunt. But he said a lot of things that are very true. You know, it, it reminds us, though, that we need to be vigilant, you know, that's not only true in the political world, but in the lives of, of us as God's people. We have to continually be on guard. Because we have a devil that walks about as a roaring lion seeking human power. And he has guile. He has wiles. He has tricks of deceit with which to deceive us. And so there's the, the command to vigilance. He's telling these Corinthian believers, look, you need, to be, you need to be watching. You need to be careful. You need to be cautious. You need to be on guard. The devil's out to destroy you, and he'll do it with subtly. Subtly. Second thing, we, second command here we see is the command for stability. In verse 13 again, watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Stand fast. The word stand fast means to stand firm. It means to persist, to persevere in godliness, 
to be right in principle and conduct. And he tells us to stand fast in the faith. Now, when we're talking about in the faith, he doesn't say stand fast in faith. He says stand fast in the faith. In other words, the body of revealed truth. That's what he's talking about here. You know, stand fast, believe all the counsel of God, and hold fast to all the counsel of God. This is very fitting for our day and time. Uh, in Philippians 4.1, he tells them, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, the Bible says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for, I'm sorry, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions. Now, don't let that word traditions here throw you off. It doesn't mean a Thanksgiving tradition I have or, you know, or July 4th tradition. No, it means, the word traditions here means the substance of teaching or instruction. So hold fast to the teachings or instructions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit revealed to the apostles and prophets the revelation of himself, or that is, of God and his word, through his word, and, you know, this book is not just an instruction manual on how to live a good life. It's a revelation of God himself and how to have a relationship with him, and that's how you have a good life. It's not just instructions on how to have a good life. It's how to have a right relationship with God. And live in fellowship with him. And so the idea here is if we instead stand fast in the faith, it's referring to fidelity or faithfulness. It's a strict observance of promises, duties, adherence to fact or detail, accuracy, exactness. You know, a lot of people in our modern world say that we are a little bit too dogmatic. Legalistic is what they would call us because of the Bible standards. That's really what he's talking about here. He says exactness. Exactness. Accuracy. You see, the the problem with a lot of so-called preachers isn't what they say, it's what they will not say, which is in this book. They like the things that are not so difficult for people to, to accept and to swallow, but they don't want to go where the things that are difficult for people to accept. I told somebody the other night, there's things in the Bible I don't like. I mean, I'm a human being just like the rest of you. But it isn't for me to decide to accept whether I like it or not. It's still true. And I'm going to be judged by it. I'm going to be judged by it. So it's important that we hold to the, the, the instructions. You know, God is a very detailed God. He gives specific instructions. You know, what's so hard about understanding that a man's not to wear a woman's garment and a woman's not to wear a man's garment? You know, all this requires, of course, that we understand what we believe and why we believe it. 
You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, when writing to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 4, verses 14 through 19, the Bible says that we henceforth be no more children. So here's, here's the command for stability. Didn't we like children? And this was the problem at Corinth. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by a slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. See, the world wants to deceive you. The devil wants to deceive you. And Corinthian, the Corinth, the Corinthian believers were being deceived. They were arguing about petty things, personalities. And you know what they began to do? Question the resurrection. So they, see, they were like children. He says, verse 15, But speaking the truth and love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of the heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And you know, again, the Corinthians, we can see examples of this in the Corinthian church. The squabbling over, I follow Paul, and I follow Peter, and I follow Paulus, and then they overlooked a man in the church who's committing incest with his stepmom. You see, if we're going to adhere and be steadfast in the faith, holding to the, 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 the promises and the teachings and instructions, we have to understand what those are, why we believe it, what we believe and why we believe it. You know, it's okay when your children are two, three, and four to tell them no and not have to explain. When they come a certain age, you're going to have to start explaining why. We should understand. It's not enough just to say, tell young people, you ought never drink alcohol. It's wrong. Show me why. Show me why. Well, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby, it's deceptive. It'll deceive you. Chapter 23 through 29, verses 29 through 35, gives a vivid description of those who drink. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath babblings? Who hath contentions? Who hath wounds without cause? Drinkers. Drinkers. Chapter 30, verse 5, King Lemuel's mother, who, by the way, I believe was Solomon, tells him that strong drink will pervert your judgment. It'll pervert your conduct. Make you stagger. That's why. See, we need to be able to expound the scriptures. And and, then she goes on and says, you only give strong drink to somebody that's ready to die. (laughs) So it's a painkiller. That's the only reason you give somebody a strong drink. See, we need to be able to expand the scriptures to explain the scriptures by comparing scripture with scripture and then applying it to, to real life. 
And we find an example of that in Nehemiah chapter 8 through chapter 9 and 10. Nehemiah chapter 8. Ezra, the scribe, the priest, the ready scribe, and uh, he, he was in Nehemiah's time. And in chapter 8, verse 8, you know, they had made a pulpit of wood and he stood upon it and preached to the people. And in verse 8 it says of Nehemiah 8, So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. So, so he read distinctly or clearly, and then he gave the sense or the meaning, and then he caused them to understand, then he made an application. And they began, what they began to do then was apply the Word of God to everyday life. Look at chapter 9 and verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Now on the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting, with sackcloth and earth upon them. The seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God. One fourth part of the day, another fourth part they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Uh, if you drop down to uh, chapter 10, and, and, and I'm not going to read all this for sake of time, but chapter 10, verse uh, 29, it says, they clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, a servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes, and that we would not give. Here's going to start apply. We would not give our daughters unto the people of the lands. See, they were giving their daughters, they were making leagues with the people of the lands, the heathen around them, and giving their daughters and their sons in marriage to them. And that was forbidden in the law of God just as God forbids us to marry the unsaved. And so they say, We will not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons, and if the people of the land bring, any, bring ware or any victuals uh, on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year in exaction of every debt. Also we made ordinances for us to charge ourselves yearly, with the third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God. You know, these are things that they hadn't been doing. And so when, it, when, when Ezra stands up, he reads the word of God distinctly, he gives the interpretation, and he makes an application. He says, hey, here's how it applies to life. These are the things you need to start doing. And they start to say, you know what? And they confess their sins first. They said, no, we need to start doing these things. You see, to stand fast, we have to understand what the Word of God is. And so we are to be, there's a command for stability. That's just the third thing here. There's a command for manliness. Verse 13 says, Watch ye stand fast in the faith, quit you like men. Quit you like men. Now, Paul, of course, is writing under inspiration to adults. And he tells them, look, you need to be men. Be a man. You know, chapter 3, verse 3, he says, are you not carnal and walk as men? Now, that's a question there. He said, and really the idea is, immature men acting like children. You know, these, there were... These were childish Christians, 
uh, uh, they were arguing over personalities and not doctrine. You know, they had some that were following Peter, some that were following Paul, and some said they were following Apollos. And the amusing thing is, all three of these men held to the same doctrine. I'm missing something here? Something wrong with this picture. Not with the men, something wrong with the people of Corinth. When these three men agree doctrinally, why are they saying, well, I follow Paul, why well, I follow Peter, and I follow Paulus? You know, many times people leave churches over petty personalities and not over doctrines. The idea of quit you like men means to show oneself a man, maturity, to be brave. It is the opposite of being a quitter. You know, some have this idea that to be spiritual is synonymous with weakness. You know, and spirituality is for women. It's feminine. I mean, it's, you know, you, you got, I'm sorry, Brother Hull has to have a crutch to lean on, you know. He has to have the Lord to lean on, he has to have a crutch. And so some people have this idea that to be spiritual is to be weak. But Paul says, tells these men at Corinth, quit you like men. Be brave as men. See, the actuality is, it's, it means strength. You know, does it take strength to go along with the world? To go along with the crowd? Does that take strength? To, to, to do the things the world does, talk like them, dress like them, act like them, party like them, spend like them, to be like the majority of the people around you, does that take strength? No, you have to just go along with what everybody else is doing. It don't take any strength. You know, many people quit or turn away from God because they are afraid of the world. Although they may act like tough guys. You know, they're tough guys. They don't need God. The reality is they're afraid to be different, to be laughed at, to look down on. We call it peer pressure, and it isn't just young people either. Demas, Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. You know, peer pressure isn't anything new to our generation. You see, the world will pressure you. It will resist you, as Brother Bishop said the other night. The world will resist you for trying to move away from it and live for God. They want you to compromise Bible truth to fit their agenda. You know, why did that rugged fisherman deny he knew the Lord? Because he was afraid in the situation that he was in at the time. And it was a maiden. Hey, you're, you're one of Jesus' followers. I oh, know not the man. Why did he deny him? Because he was afraid. That was peer pressure. You know, it takes a brave man to say, yes, I am. Yes, I am. 
takes a brave woman to say, yes, I am, and not be ashamed of it. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 23, we have a man who was not afraid. Hebrews 11 verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's men. So his, his parents weren't afraid. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction. See, here's the problem is, so often we don't want to suffer the affliction of the world, of God's people, from the world. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches, the, the treasures, the riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect on the recompense of reward, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You know, six times in the Bible we have this phrase, Moses, the man of God. Moses, the man of God. Hebrews 3.5 tells us, that Moses verily was faithful in all his house. And he was called the meekest of men. You know, we often think that meekness is a weakness too. But meekness is a great strength. We equate that with meekness. In Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology, there's an article and part of that says, Quote, meekness does not identify the weak, but more precisely the strong, who have placed in position of weakness where they persevere without giving up. The use of the Greek word when applied to animals makes this clear, for it means, quote, tame, unquote, when applied to wild animals. In other words, such animals have not lost their strength, but have learned to control the destructive instincts that prevent them from living in harmony with others, unquote. You see, the world, man, appears to be strong, arrogant, harsh, mean, nasty, whatever adjectives you give to it. And they think he's tough. No, that's not a tough man. That's not a strong man. A strong man is one that can control his passions. Can discipline himself. Not to harm or injure others. But to be under control. And yet, have courage to do what's right. And to stand for what's right. Not be afraid to stand for what's right. And that's what quit you like men means. You know, we need men. Young men, we need men that will stand. Stand in in the power of God. Stand for God and not be ashamed of God. I think one of the goals of our 
of our society and the devil is to destroy our men, to feminize our men. And so the command for manliness, we need manly men. Fourthly, the command to be strong. It says, watch ye and stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Now, some would put these two, quit you like men, be strong, together, but I separate them for this, for this purpose. It, to be strong here, really the, the Greek word means to be made strong. Made, the word made is very important here. To be made strong. It's sort of like, you know, the Bible says we are justified. In other words, we are declared righteous. That means we are made righteous. It doesn't mean we are righteous. We are made righteous. So that source of, of righteousness comes from an, is an outside source, not of ourselves. And this strength here he's talking about is from another source outside of ourselves. But it makes us strong. And it means to increase and grow. Just like you would, you go to the gym, Andrew, and, you, and you, you pump iron. You want to make yourself stronger. And God wants us to be stronger and stronger. You're made strong. Yeah, the strongest man in the Bible, strongest man in the Bible really was very weak. Samson. And really the wisest man in the Bible was quite foolish. What that reveals to us is, it's not in human nature. It's not in us. It's in God. See, this strength is not of us. The power is not of us. It's of God. You know, the most outspoken and seemingly bold disciple was weak when confronted about his relationship with the Lord Jesus. I mean, he was always the one who would answer for the group. He was kind of the, the ringleader of the whole 12 disciples, and yet when he was confronted by a maiden, he denied he knew the Lord. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? You see, the problem was he didn't have the power of God. He was relying on his own strength. To really be strong, we need the power of almighty God. Go to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. Ephesians 3 and verse 16. The Bible says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. See, this strength comes from the spirit of God who, which, 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 uh, which, and through our spirit and and, and, and as we rely on Him, He gives us this strength through the, through the avenue of the Spirit of God. Chapter 6, verse 10. Chapter 6, six verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that may be able, you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So how can we have the power of God? Well... Go to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. <clears throat> Acts chapter 3. And we have an account here of the power of God being evident or manifested. Peter, 
uh, and John had went up to the temple to pray, and, and they healed this lame man that was set at the gate, beautiful gate of the temple. In verse 12, it says, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. Ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murder to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through your ignorance she did it, as did also your rulers. And so Peter tells him it's through faith in his name, in the name of Jesus, uh, this is the source of this power, of power, the power of God. And so this power is through faith in the Lord and faithfulness to His Word. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith... It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he, also, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out of into a place, which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So how do we know or have faith in God creating the worlds? How do we know? How do we have faith in that? By the word of God. By the word of God. How did Abel have faith or know what offering to bring? The Word of God. How did Noah, how did Noah know it was going to rain? And what gave him, or what enabled him to resist the whole world and stand alone? Just him and his three sons his wife and their wives. His faith in the word of God. After all, it had never rained before. So you're talking about something new? Something never happened. God said it's going to happen. And Noah believed God. 
And it empowered him. It empowered him to the point that he would preach it to the people and tell them this is going to happen even though it had never happened like this before. Faith. How did Abraham know, have knowledge, or have faith to leave Ur of the Chaldees? He simply had the word of the Lord. He didn't even have a written word of the Lord. How do they have faith to pass through the Red Sea, verse 29, or have faith to conquer Jericho, Jericho, verse 30? How did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find strength to stand? Well, they believed in their God. They had faith in their God. And it made them strong. Although they appeared for a time weak. You know, they had faith in their God that they could not see, and that God appeared to them in the midst of the fire. See, when you stand for God, God will manifest Himself to you. He'll give you strength that you don't know that you possess. If you'll just have faith. To give you power that is not your own. And so he commands us, be strong. Really, the, really what this boils down to is that we just need to trust the Lord and allow him to show himself strong through us. And let the world do what the world does. Let Nebuchadnezzar build his fire seven times hotter. We're going to trust God. And God gave them strength to stand. But then I want you to notice a fifth thing. And that is the command to love. Notice verse 14. Let all your things be done with charity. Of course, the word charity is the word agape, which is... Our English word, love, giving, benevolence. And so he says, let all your things, in other words, let all your, your vigilance, your stability, your manliness, your strength, let it all be done with love. That's the idea here. It, it, it's the idea is let all your things be done. In other words, all these things that I'm telling you about, Corinthians, you need to to let it be done with love. You see, love is the oil that lubricates the engine that keeps it from blowing apart. If you didn't put oil in your truck or your car, what would happen to it? I mean, the friction is going to start to build up very quickly, and things are going to start flying. You know, that's a picture of a a man of the world in his own strength. Friction builds up and things start flying. You see, love is the grease in the axle that keeps the bearings running freely. And love is the Christian character that keeps vigilance concerned, stability patient, manliness compassionate, and strength pliable. 
And you know, there was a lack of genuine love at Corinth. I mean, they were overlooking sin in the church. They were a lot like a lot of churches today. Today, people think if you take a stand, you're just unloving, narrow-minded, and lack compassion. Understand something. You do not help people in their relationship with the Lord by overlooking their sin. You hurt them. You hurt them. However, we must be governed by a love for God that manifests itself in a love for one another with a desire to minister and help people in their understanding of God and themselves. You know, it's God's desire that everyone has the opportunity to know the truth, that the truth may set them free. That's God's desire. Jesus didn't want anybody going away from him lost. He looked at the rich young ruler as he walks away from him, and the Bible says he loved him. He tried to help him. But he chose not to be helped and walked away. He was the only hope that the rich young ruler had. Now he could go to the Pharisees and they would have told him what he wanted to hear. You can go to a lot of the churches and they'll tell you what you want to hear. But will you get help? You know, if we don't give you the truth and the word of God, the whole truth, are you really going to be helped? And if we don't give people the whole truth, will we really help people? First John 4, 11 and 12 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. See, God loves us, but he also is honest and truthful with us. In Matthew 9.36 tells us that Jesus has compassion upon the multitudes. But he never, he never told them that they were okay in their sin. Or he never overlooked their sin. Or condoned their sin. He preached, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You know, really, that's loving. That sounds to the world, that sounds like you're condemning them. But we don't want to be. Again, all these things need to be done with charity. We don't want to be cold and unloving and uncaring. You know, like somebody said, we don't want to be the first church of the iceberg 
pastored by Jack Frost. We need to be vigilant. We need to stand fast. And we need to quit ourselves like men. And we need to be strong for the Lord, trusting in the power of God. But we also need to have compassion for those that are out of the way. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, I used to just tell people, well, the door swings both ways. If you don't like it, you can go out the door. He said, you know, that was a dumb thing to say. He said, because I figured out after a while, yeah, once they go out the door, I can't help them. Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. The idea there is to mean to cover over with a pardon. God has a pardon to offer if you'll receive it. If you'll receive it. Yeah, God doesn't write us off because we sin. He didn't write the Corinthians off because they sinned. He didn't write that ancestral relationship people off because they'd sinned. He gave them instruction. They dealt with him. And when he repented, they received him back. God offers a pardon. That's love. That's love. God doesn't write us off from sin. He just asks us to confess, which means to agree with him or say the same thing about our sin. Confess it and forsake it. So the commands to the churches. God commands us. To vigilance, we need to watch. To stand fast. To quit you like men and be strong. But let all these things be done with charity. With compassion. For a world that's lost without hope. With compassion, one another. Your love is the mark the identifying mark of Christianity. By this shall men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another, Jesus said. So might God help us to be faithful, to stand, to watch, and to be strong, and to love those, love one another, and those that need hope in a hopeless world.